One thing my dad remember always telling us, reminding us how beautiful this world is, the gift for us to be chosen, to be in this world, to enjoy, to look, to cry, to laugh, to smell a flower, you know. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to Collector's Gene Radio. I'm your host, Cameron Steiner, and I'm joined by my co-host and brother, Ryan. This is all about diving into the nuances of collecting and ultimately finding out whether or not our guests have what we like to call the collector's gene. That's right. And as always, please subscribe and leave a review for us. It truly helps. We hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Alex Hassan is one of those collectors who can easily fly under the radar, but once you stumble upon his Instagram, you find quite possibly the most extensive collection of Gurkha bags and accessories known to the market. So much so that he actually had to buy a separate townhouse just to store them all. Yeah, Cam, I know you've had the pleasure of getting to know Alex over the last few years. And, you know, while all your conversations have been virtual, he's let you and essentially now all of us, into his world of Gurkha collecting. I mean, the guy's also recently started a new charity and a website to get back to his roots. And on top of that, he's got some pretty awesome stories to share with us. So that being said, let's get into it. This is Alex Hassan for Collector's Gene Radio. Well, Alex, so nice to finally chat with you, man. Thanks for joining us on Collector's Gene Radio. Sure, my friend. Alex, for uh, for those that don't know you, can you give us a little background on yourself, um, your career, and what you do collect? Sure. I'm Alex. I've been collecting since I remember. Maybe I was like four or five years old. My major is uh, philosophy. I have a PhD in philosophy from University of Chicago, and uh, I do energy consulting for business. Collecting, I collected, I mean, my major collections started with a few cars. My major car was a Mercedes 300S. Oh, what year to be that? 1957. Oh, I love it. Beautiful. Yeah, I bought it and I kind of restored a few things. And, uh, I sold it. Those are going for a pretty penny now. Oh, yeah. I mean, even back then, I bought it for like 400000 yeah. something. Yeah. Spent about two hundred k on it, and I sold it for $1.4 million. Unbelievable. Yeah. You could get a lot of Gurkha bags with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Gurkha was, you know, one reason that I got into Gurkha, actually, I was... Uh, doing my uh, uh, paper for my PhD, and I was in uh, Japan. And on weekends, I used to go golfing with some of the executives from uh, Toyota and uh, Sony. And I saw the bags that they had was amazing. And I asked them what brand was, and they said, Gurkha, and by the way, this is American brand. So... When I came back, I got my first bag. And then my office in Chicago was in Michigan Avenue, just half a block from uh, Gurkha. They had a store in Chicago back then. 
So almost every day when I passing by the store, I treated myself with one bag. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that's why when I wake up one day and I would just find out I had over 2,500 bags and items from Kurka. So I had to get a townhouse just to restore them, to make sure they are in the right temperature and, you know, display them in the right place. Wait, so you had to get, you had to get another piece of property just to store your collection? Yep. Oh, man. Imagine, I mean, in one point, I had almost 3,000 bags. And there's a lot of bags to fit anywhere, even in a warehouse. Yeah, I was about to say, my girlfriend makes me keep all my sports memorabilia that I collect in a storage room, but that's only because it doesn't fit the... Uh, the vibe she's going for in this little apartment I'm in. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, my yeah, watch collection is a little bit easier to store. <laughs> yeah. To keep the Gurkha bags in the right, right place, you have to fill them up. So you shouldn't have them be squished or squeezed anywhere. So you have to fill them up, moisturize them, you know, on time. So each six months, I have a company, they, they sent three or four guys to moisturize my bags and it takes them about a week to finish it. Oh yeah. Cause I mean, is it still around 3000? Like are they, are, is I have that about like- 2000 now because you know, I donated a bunch of them to my, uh, to our charity helping, um, uh, orphan kids. That's great. When, um, so when did you donate, start donating? So you donated basically around like a thousand you're saying? Yeah. I sold about uh, maybe three or four hundred of them on a Gurkha website under Vintage Link. We created a Vintage Link on their website, and uh, I sold many of them. I perhaps almost a million dollar. I guess that was a share program I had with Gurkha back in uh, 2015 to 2018. Wow. I think um, later on in the conversation, I definitely want to touch more on the charity and the collection and the townhouse and the storage and all that sort of stuff. But for a second, let's go back to the beginning of your collecting. So uh, all these executives in in, uh, the Asian markets are, are telling you about Gurkha and it's an American brand and, and you stumble upon it and you fall in love. So what, what was your first Gurkha piece? was a golf bag. <laughs> that I can dig. Yeah. We were just we were just talking about the golf bags uh b- before you hopped on here and they're definitely uh beautiful for sure. I feel like that would elevate my game just having one of those. Like I'd feel a little bit fancier on the course. You know what I mean? Like get, <laughs> take the take the edge off. Yeah, they're good. they're very fun. Actually, I have five of them now. Wow. All right, well, we, we need to come visit you in Chicago and play some golf. Then, and, uh, <laughs> make, make sure these bags can fit our clubs, you know, just, exactly. just test them out. Actually, I had one of them back in, let's see, my son was two years old. This is 1999. I was in Hawaii, and there was a tournament, and I showed that to a few professionals. They didn't know about it. I missed Tiger Wood that day. 
But oh, uh, really? Mickelson was uh, impressed. What he said is it was a little bit heavy for uh, his cabbie to carry it. Lefty was telling you it was too heavy? I don't get that. You know, it's funny when you're saying how your son was two with the bag is when Cameron was little, when Cameron was little, he'd walk around with this little play golf set. But Cameron's been like Mr. Fancy Pants since the beginning of time. I think the only thing he was missing was a little Gurkha bag for his toy clubs when he was little. Yeah. Yeah, I should have uh, I should have done more research. I would have found you, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> Do you still have a, a close relationship with the brand and, and, and Marley Hodgson? I do have contact with the people who used to run Gurkha more than the new owners. Actually, I do have contact with the new owners that are in Cleveland, but they are more into uh, investment and financial market than being in uh, leather and uh, leather goods. Before that, I met uh, John uh, Reuter. Actually, it was interesting because I started to sell some of my bags through a friend on eBay for the charity. And one person was kept buying from us. And finally, I emailed him and I said, well, you know, what you see we list on eBay is just a fraction of what we have. And if you're interested, I could send you more lists of what would be available. And I could also send you a few of the old catalogs of Gurkha if you're interested. And he said, I would be really interested in that. By the way, my name is John Reuter. I'm president and owner of Gurkha. <laughs> uh, and I said, what the hell you're buying from me then? <laughs> and, Make it uh, yourself. <laughs> yeah, he said, you well, I bought the company in 2012 and we do not have much of the older styles in our archive. So I'm buying it for that. Well, that makes sense. To, yeah, to see which one we want to just reproduce again. So, and then, you know, he bought maybe two, three hundred bags. One time after this, after a year or two, he finally said, well, no, Alex, why don't you just uh, join us to just do uh, more of these uh, bags with us? And I said, well, John, I really don't think you can afford me <laughs> if you ask me <laughs> to hire me. But I don't mind to just do join that uh, joint venture with you guys, and that would be win-win for both of us. And he said, "Let's do it." And that Love was it. the beginning of that uh, vintage link that we started. It first, I met Marley in New York. He was a passionate guy, coming out of the store, having one or two of his pieces in his hand, and just talking to people passing by. And he stopped me and explained a little bit about the brand. And I told him, well, I knew enough about it. And he took me to the store, you know, gave me a little tour. That was my first meeting with him. And that was it. And then uh, last year. Was that the store right by Central Park? Uh, yeah. 
So last year, uh, Lewis, the head of uh, Gurkha's workshop, who used to be with uh, Marley from the beginning, he, um, I have contact with him, kind of friend. He contacted me and he said, Marley is asking for someone who would be the collector and you know, good collector. And he wanted it to uh, sell one of his bags. And I said, well, I'm really interested. This is my, uh, give him my information. And Marley contacted me and explained that, you know, this is a bag. I wanted it to fix it through Lewis. And what Lewis says is not possible because the piping was gone and, you know, to change the whole thing, they had to take the whole bag apart and put it back. And he said, well, I decided to just give it to someone. And Lewis says, there's nobody deserves this more than you. And, you know, we had a chat and uh, he sent back, he sent the back to me. Then I contacted him a few times and last, uh, uh, what was that, like three, four months ago, I asked him if it would be okay to use his name for a dedicated website that we were going to have just selling Marley bags for our charity. And he said, that would be okay. Go ahead and do it. But make sure you just only sell my bags, bags that we made before 2003. Mm -hmm. So we started it in December, actually, which is bestofmarley.com. And we're going to keep adding bags and items in, uh, to it. I don't know if you've seen the site or not. Yeah. Yeah. We are going to, we're going to get to that in a minute. I I'm curious cause you got to it. You said a little bit of it earlier, but I mean, your collection is massive. What was it about it that hit like that collector, you know, I guess the collector's gene as we could say, we'll get to that too. But what was it about Gurkha that really made you so crazy about the brand? Well, before Gurkha, I was a little bit into collecting leather bags or leather goods. And what I had before Gurkha was a small but very good collection of coach bags. They were all made in the earlier years during the Bonnie Cashin era. I think that... The earliest I had on those collections was for 19, like 67, 68, something like that. They were that old. And uh, later I sold most of them to Coach for their archive. And they bought it from me. So they have it. So I had that, you know, that background before and, uh, you know, being in the academy, you know, area, and, you know, you always have eyes for a briefcase. And I was traveling a lot, especially when I started my business. I was traveling about 200 to 300,000 miles annually. 
you know, I went to almost, uh, I lost my counts, but I, I think I knew 68, 69 countries before I just, you know, gave up on counting. So imagine you need, you know, briefcase, you need duffel bags, you need travel bags. So it's a part of what you are looking for. I mean, your eyes are for that. And when that happened in Japan, for me, it was like a click. You know, I really liked the leather. I did a little bit search on the history of the company and, you know, production. I really liked. And since I was getting more and more, I got more into it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I had a similar experience with, with Gurkha is, is I actually went to the store um, when I lived in, in Manhattan. I went to the store uh, by Central Park and I had no idea what Gurkha was, but, you know, just walking by, you see nice leather goods. So I popped in and I instantly fell in love. And as you know, I have a vintage attache case and um, I've shared that with you a few times. So for me, I, I appreciate because I didn't, necessarily grow up with Gurkha. I appreciate a lot of the old stuff and the vintage stuff, and I also appreciate a lot of their new stuff. But that's just because I don't have as much of a history with the brand as you do. So is there is there a, a general reason why you only collect up until that 2003 mark? Well, Gurkha has gone through several stages. The first was from 1975 to 2003 while Marley was in charge and they their philosophy was not mass production was just you know smaller market but very uh, thought after and very you know emphasize on quality and uh, you can see it I mean the the leather that they were using for their bags were coming from a few tanneries that were dedicated to make the best for Gurkha. And Marley was really on top of it. He would visit them regularly, you know, would see the whole process. And imagine for the leather that were making those bags, a tannery had to process those bags, those leathers for almost a month. So there had to go through 18, 19 different stages. Wow. Finally wow. soaking in a special solution and water and a vegetable solution for almost three weeks before they, you know, dry it and make it ready, send it to Gurkha for production. Today, that is impossible. I mean, no company is doing that because they just want to get the leather, you know, make the bag, send it out. Doesn't matter if China is in the U.S. or Italy or France. This is how it goes. And the tanneries, they don't even have a space to, you know, to lay down in all of these leathers, you know, for like three weeks, you know, in their facility to do that. They used to. And more importantly, there is no cows to create the same kind of leather anymore. I mean, imagine 
60, 50, 100 years ago, cows were in, you know, fresh air and area. They had to develop tougher skin to fight the harsh weather. But where are they today? In air-conditioned salons, you know? Yeah, well, they're doing Chick-fil-A commercials. Yeah, I mean, what do you expect? (laughs) You don't even get the same leather to begin with. So everything is against a good quality leather now compared to, you know, before. So that was some distinguished. So from 2003 to 2011, a company bought... uh, Gurkha from Marley, and Marley decided to retire, said it's okay for me, enough for me. And he bought a ranch in Colorado and just went there. So the new company had a different idea. I mean, their idea was more profit, mass production, keeping the name and emphasizing on the name to make more money. So they took the production from U.S to China, mostly, with a few bags that they were still making in U.S. and a few items in, right? in Spain. Yeah. So that was a dark period of Gurkha in most cases, in most bags. And 2011, John Reuter, a Gurkha fan, an investor in New York bought the company and it took him about two years to bring back the production to U.S. So from 2013 till now, production is back in U.S. and mostly made by the same people who used to make during the Marley. The head of that, yeah, the head of that production still is Lewis. So Lewis is when Marley started with. So they had all of the equipment, you know, the cuts and the molds, everything, equipment, same people. The making is the same right now. But the quality with the reasons I just shared with you is not going to be the same because it's not possible anymore. You would not be able to find a tannery that would dedicate, you know, their time and the space to you for one month to make the same kind of leather, you know, unless you create your own, you start your own tannery and do it your way, which is not possible, you know? And if you look at the, one of the best leather that Gurkha makes, like a, a vintage chestnut leather, the name itself says it all. It says vintage chestnut leather. But the same thing when that was during the Marley's time was chestnut vintage leather. So vintage leather versus vintage chestnut. So now the emphasis on the color back then was emphasized on leather, vintage leather. Yeah, it was the more the material. Yeah. When you, because you said uh, that you've parted ways with a lot of your items, you know, for charity, but 
did you part ways with some of your collection for just to sell as well? And if, and if so, like, how did you decide which pieces? Cause it seems like you have such a love for the material too. In one point I had almost all kind of material on each style. Let's say if I had express bag number two, I had it in like seven different kind of leather. Oh yeah. And I had like six different kind of twill. I had them like a new and I had them back up for when I was traveling and using, you know, and just you know, for different occasion. I had maybe from the same style, same material, maybe two or three of them. And then at one point, it just didn't matter because I started to exchange or buy from the other collectors. And I would just buy them in bulk and it didn't matter, you know, what color or what kind were they. I would just buy. There were times that I bought like 200 bags and items at once. Oh, geez. Wow. So, so, Alex, at a time when when your vintage pieces are becoming so valuable, and now that Gurkha has brought these items uh, back to U.S. production, are you buying and collecting these modern pieces post-2013 for your everyday use, or do you have specific vintage pieces that you use on a daily basis that, uh, you know, you don't mind uh, the value of them? <laughs> I haven't bought any new bag bag after 2003, I should say. And uh, I've had several new, but they were all exchanged or I bought them from Gurkha for the money that, you know, we had to have exchange because you know when we were selling on their website they were collecting their money and we were shipping from our own warehouse to the customer and then every week or every two weeks we would just calculate you know which money were going where and they were paying me sometimes you know when they had a very good sell and I could get even better sell because uh, as an insider so I would exchange some of their bags with the money they owed me so other than that the thing that I purchased from them uh, was only shoulder straps or uh, moisturizer maybe the rest was always exchange. Yeah, because, you know, when, as someone like me, when I first was introduced to, to Gurkha just by, by chance of walking by, you know, you walk in and, and the average person probably isn't going to go and do their research on the brand. Um, they're, they're, they're just going to see the products and say, oh, I like this or I like that and I want to purchase this or I want to purchase that. But do you think that, because Gurkha has had, some turmoil the past few years. Do you think they've lost a little bit of their way in the last few years in, in terms of, of their history and their heritage, or do you think they're making their way back? I hope they will come back. 
I give them some time because they're good people. I mean, they, the guy, his two partners that I know, and they own Gurkha right now, they're good people. And they are getting to understand the value of the brand more than just the value of the money. That's why they are more dedicated, and I see they're trying new products that are also some, you know, shape of the old ones. It's like a continuation of the classic style that they used to have. But before these two people, I mean, there was just a little delay between, like between 2018, 17 to 2000. There were some managers, I think they changed two times managers, that those people were not really into it. And their mission was more to make sure the company would survive than to focus on the production and their quality and, you know, what Gurkha is all about. And they lost it. I mean, to me, I mean, if the whole scientists of the world get together, they cannot make one apple. It's impossible. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> what you do, you just take that tree and your attention is all to the root and watering and make sure, you know, gets enough water. You just keep watering. And one day, just uh, going to be blossom and then going to be apple, the result of that watering. So if as a manager, you just keep trying to make that apple and your attention, your eyes and your head is just toward that, you know, branch. Mm-hmm. To see when that apple is going to come, you're going to miss that watering. Yeah. Gurkha, you know, they miss that. They miss that watering to attention to the root. And then, you know, we had bad years. I mean, they had to close stores and you know you know the rest yeah well for people you know that are still looking why uh why should they be going to bestofmarley.com let's talk a little bit about your site our site are very unique for a few reasons number one the whole money 100 percent, other than the cost that we have to pay goes to charity that is supporting the kids and the family in need. Number one. Number two, the products that you see there, they all are selective. They all are from Marley's time and uniquely taken care of. I mean, you see those vintage bags being sold on eBay and, you know, different websites. But if you check the history, it goes to mostly their parents. I mean, you know, they just were cleaning their basement. They found those bags, you know, sitting there and they decided to sell. Mostly are that kind. So you don't see much of the history. Or they bought it a few years ago from another website and then they decided to sell it. Gurkha bags 
have to be taken care of. I mean, if you are looking at 40, 45 years or back, to be in the best possible shape, they had to be moisturized every six months and they have to be filled inside. They have to be in controlled temperature, not moisture at all. It has to be dry, but not too dry. And also, if it is twill, every six months, other than uh, moisturizing the leather part, the trims, you have to vacuum the twill, brush it, and vacuum it again. The upkeep is insane. I know. So our bags are almost the only Gurkha bags ever <laughs> going through <laughs> that process. And that's the thing. I mean, I have two leather masters. One actually right now is 83 years old. They are Holy kids. smokes. Yeah, man, he's a great guy and he knows what he's doing. And he's been helping me for almost 30 years. That's like having a Ted Williams glove. Yeah. I didn't know how to keep this, but he was a good mentor to let me know in the early years that, hey, I mean, just don't buy it. Keep it there. We can just have it there. These have to be filled. They have to each like four, five, six of them have to be in a box closed box so you shouldn't be exposed to moisture exposed to dust is how it is and once in a while at least every six months you bring it out you touch them you know you just uh, squeeze them you just play with the leather a little bit to make sure the leather gets some love and attention and some movement and then you put it back with moisture, yeah. that happens, you know? Yeah. So this yeah. is a big difference between our bag and just any other Marley bags. And out of 3,000, I mean, 200, I think two, 300, 2,200, something like that bags we have, I'm choosing, number one, the one that I don't need them or I have the similar one already. And also the one that deserves to be sold. It's not like bad condition. I sell my best condition. And I think that that's kind of the, the interesting part of, of your collection is that for, for most of Gurkha's history, a lot of the bags in terms of the aesthetic have remained fairly similar. You know, minor details, uh, minor details on the, on the, on, on the patterns, on the, on the fabrics and things like that. But for the most part, the general aesthetic has remained the same. But when people go on your website for, uh, versus eBay, they're going to see some items that are priced very, very high. But there's a reason for that, and that's because they're, they're pre-2003. And I think that that's the important thing to note here is that, like you said earlier, the materials that are being used or that were being used rather – 2003 and, and pre-2003 were just that much better than anything else that's being used now, which which demands a higher price point. Yeah. I mean, imagine at the same time, between 2015 and 2018, when we were selling our bags on 
uh, Gurkha website on their vintage link. At the same time that uh, we were selling uh, 35, 40-year-old, let's say, express bag for uh, $2,800, like Gurkha was selling the same thing new for like $1,450. I mean, we could not keep our express bags. I mean, I sold maybe 18, 19 of them on their website with, with that price. So people could get the, you know, value. They, they knew what they were getting. That's another unique yeah. thing about Gurkha. I mean, when you spend that much time on a bag, Gurkha bag, you care for it to make sure, you know, they're in good shape. After 20, 30, 40 years, they're a better bag than a new one. Yeah, so when you're uh, when you're donating these bags to charity, I hope these uh, charities know what they're really getting. <laughs> but to... what is our own own charity? Oh yeah, okay. So tell me a little bit about that. Right. Well, back in 2010, I went to Iran, my own country, after 25 years, and uh, my sister was a teacher in a very uh, remote area and people mostly were working in uh, brick factories. And many of them were uh, refugees from Afghanistan. And because Iranian government did not recognize them even as refugees, most of them as even refugees because they didn't have any documents or they never applied for any refugee status, their kids could not go to public schools. So because of that, their kids, even as young as four or five years, sometimes even three years old, they were working in the brick factory as well. Because that was like a contract kind of job. So you would uh, carry like 1,000 breaks, you would get certain amount of money. So even as a little kid, just carrying one or two breaks at a time counted yeah, wow. for better wow. than just, you know, sitting somewhere having uh, someone to babysit for them. So that was the situation. It was very bad. Yeah, wow. Well, so awful. we decided, yeah, we decided to make a school for them. That's incredible. And, yeah, and then, you know, I went back, I, when I returned, there were certainly a lot of other things, you know, like, uh, you know, we uh, we took few buses, we took them to the theater for the first time they were seeing, you know, a big movie, you know, in the cinema. Mm-hmm. And uh, we took them to the restaurant, and you know it was almost first time for them. And uh, next day, we brought a group of uh, comedians to uh, play for them, like in the middle of uh, nowhere, like we were sitting in a dock. <laughs> yeah, sitting in a dock, and you know, we had just a few, uh, you know, carpets people, your kids could sit on it. And I just looked at the shoes 
mostly they had like a you know dirty little uh, flat something like that and they're almost uh, gone they got half of the shoe are gone it was very bad and I didn't know how wow. they could walk on uh, dust with those so first thing I did I just sent them like 250 uh, caterpillar uh, boots <laughs> and uh, little by little we started the uh, school and also a clinic and we talked to a few of our friends and good doctors that they started to uh, take turn volunteering certain days and certain times for the clinic so people could go and get some, you know, primary care and, you know, just checking their eye and doing the eye exam and doing the uh, diabetic tests, things like that, that they had never had before. And making sure the smaller ones would get regular vaccinations or, you know, whatever they had to do. Mm -hmm. Is the only way to donate to the charity by purchasing a bag? Well, that was the money that I could release. I mean, I had yeah. other collections. I had a good collection of watches, and uh, I let them go. And then, um, you know, Gurkha bag was another. That's great. Source that I could use. Because, you know, it really didn't make sense for me to have so many bags sitting there <laughs> yeah. while I knew, you know, that that could be the very good use. You know, and looking at those bags to me was, and it still is, you know, like a laptop is, you know, schooling goods, you know, uniforms, food, mm -hmm. you know. Before we, we get into the, uh, the last portion of the podcast here, I, I want to pick your brain on, on just the, the, the current state of the the brand of Gurkha because there there are not a lot of articles or references on Gurkha and Marley Hodgson uh, specifically. So how did you become so knowledgeable about the brand other than your personal relationships? And are you at all concerned for the future of the brand? Well, I'm not concerned about the future of the brand because the main reason for that is the makers of Gurkha, not the one that are marketing it. The makers are Lewis and his team from, uh, you know, the Gurkha workshop. And they are the best people you can get for leather making. Cannot get better than no. them. Are That's they based the in Connecticut? They are, yes. They are in the same place that used to be. They are independent people, let me tell you. They are not Gurkha. But they make these for Gurkha. So that team is untouchable. I mean, they are the one that Gurkha comes from. And since they are handling the production of Gurkha, there is nothing to be worried about. Are they going to be 
still some bumps on the road, yes, because not only Gurkha, this is a very compatible market, very tough to survive. Many never survived. I mean, big names, big American names didn't really survive, like Hartman. I mean, look at the Hartman now and Hartman 40 years ago, you know. Finally, Samsonite <laughs> bought them. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. But uh, I think they really, the management really want to, wants to spend money and spend time to make it happen. The sad thing is that they let go some of the key people in Gurkha. And they started to let these people go during, you know, after 19, after 2017-18. And that was the end of my relation with Gurkha. When they let them go, I said, okay, you know, that's it. Yeah, it's a big chunk of the, the history and the brand. Exactly, because what is a brand? It's not just the production or the product. Is people who make those yeah. products. Yeah, relationships are very important. Yeah, fortunately, they kept Lewis. But Josephine, you know, Josephine was uh, the heart and soul of Gurkha. And she was handling the uh, customer service. But she was the front line. And they let her go. I mean, my heart broke after that. Actually, a few weeks ago, Marley sent me another email uh, congratulating me for the website. He really liked the website and shared with me about one of uh, the bags that I had list, uh, added on website also. And I, I don't know if I had it on Insta or not, but I, had, I have it in a website. is a camera bag. The Number 35, the grip. Oh, those are beautiful. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, I'm going to post that on Instagram. He said that this bag was an order from Leica. You know, Leica is the almost the best camera company in the world. He said they contacted him and told him that they wanted the bag uh, for their package that they were putting together for the first, I think, 100 or 200 or 50 people who would buy a specific kind of Mercedes-Benz. That was a cooperation between Leica and Mercedes. And each package was supposed to be, I think, $20,000 worth of camera product. And they would give as a gift to one of the first owners of those uh, cars. I have to look at his email to find exactly which car was that. I think maybe it was a Maybach, I'm not sure. And he said that then they made this grip and they sent it to uh, Leica for just look at it and give them some idea. And uh, he says, they loved it so much. They didn't want anything to be changed. Yeah, you know, it's funny that um, 
you mentioned Josephine because I had bought a purse several years back for uh, my, my now fiance from Gurkha and it wasn't going to be here in time for, I believe it was a, a Valentine's Day gift. And I called the customer service number and it happened to be Josephine and she, she made it happen for me. She was emailing me. She was calling me. She was on top of it. And I went to order something again in the future. I can't remember what it was. And someone else took like five days to get back to me. Uh, they weren't willing to help. It was just, and that's when, when, you know, these articles started coming out that, you know, stores were closing and, and those sort of things. And it just seemed a little different, but, you know, we, we all hope that uh, Gurkha's is back on the rise here because the, the, the products are beautiful, uh, vintage or not. And I think um, something from Gurkha should be in, in everyone's household. It's uh, just really good looking stuff. But Alex, I think it's time that we, uh, we get down to the uh, collector's gene. And basically what that is, is it's a, a list of, of topics and these can be short or long answered, however you would like. And um, ultimately, we're going to find out whether uh, you feel you were born with a collector's gene. Should we get started? Sure, go ahead. All right, Alex. What, what's the one that got away? What's the Gurkha piece that uh, you missed and, and can't get over, whether it was at auction or you know, someone else bought it before you? Uh, do you have one in mind? Well, uh, there was a portfolio was President Reagan portfolio that, that he had ordered uh, several of them through Gurkha and he was giving it to his uh, uh, immediate staff and uh, that one that particular one that I had was I think Minister of uh, Housing and Urban Development Minister I let that go, and then later I thought, oh, I should have kept it. <laughs> Back then, I thought, okay, you know, this could be so many shoes and, you know, clothes. I looked at <laughs> it that way, and I let it go, and later I thought, okay, you know, I could have paid out of my own pocket for those shoes and still <laughs> have the portfolio. <laughs> but the person who bought it, I almost offered him twice. I think I sold it for 2500 I offered five thousand up to five thousand, and he didn't let me have it. Oh. Wow! You know, it's uh, it's funny when you when you collect something, the the purchase price of items that you want to buy that you collect don't bother you as much for versus items that are just general everyday items. You know, like a pair of shoes. I won't scoff at a watch that costs a couple grand. But as soon as I want to buy a pair of shoes that I like and I see it's $500, I really start contemplating the purchase. It's, it's kind of ironic. Yeah, true. This happens always in uh, collecting. And the good example is auctions, you know. I was in an auction uh, last month and I was uh, bidding on a Persian poet handwritten books for 750 years ago. And... The price that they were estimating was anything from, uh, I think, uh, 2000 to 7000 But I really didn't care. I think I ended up buying it for $38,000. <laughs> 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 
I was just looking <laughs> one. You know, I never thought about it. Just, you know, whoever was bidding on me, I was just going over. Yeah, you weren't going to lose that one. <laughs> yeah, I said, you know, what the hell? My cap was really like 15000 but then I never thought about it. I just said, no, no, I'm going to have it. No matter you, what sound like, you sound like me playing blackjack. Um, <laughs> what about the on-deck circle? What do you have your eye on for your next piece? I'm thinking about having another uh, 300S if I find a good one. Oh, there you go. It seems like most of those are coming up at auction these days. Yeah, the one that I let it go was 1957. That was my year of, you know, birth. So it meant more to me, but I don't know why I let it go. How about the, the unobtainable, the item uh, that you want to collect, but it's it's too expensive, or maybe it's in Gurkha's private collection or in a in a museum? Is there anything that comes to mind? Definitely Gurkha number one. But, uh, you know, the... Right now, Marley's uh, grandson has it. Yeah, they have tight fingers on that <laughs> one, huh? Big time. They not, they do it. not let it go, no matter what. What about the uh, the page one rewrite we call? So, like, if you could collect one thing besides Gurkha, like, if you if you were starting from scratch, what would you go with? Perhaps I would start, and uh, I'm still thinking of starting... Uh, to collect uh, handwritten uh, books and manuscripts. Oh, I like that. Yeah, there's been quite a few of uh, auctions based around that these days. Exactly. To me, it's fascinating, you know, it's just history, just a lot into it, art. Yeah, not, nothing's uh, handwritten anymore, so it's it, that stuff definitely gets more and more rare as the years go on. Right. How about the goat? Who do, who do you look up to in the collecting world? The one that I looked up to always was my dad. He passed away last year. Oh, I'm sorry. He was really into uh, handwritten books, manuscripts. And uh, several years before he passed away, he donated them to old libraries. Oh wow! Yeah, I was just going to ask if you uh, if you inherited that, but that's uh, that's pretty nice of him to do that as well. Yeah, yeah, very cool. What about for you the um, the chase or the sale? What do you enjoy more? Good question. I've kind of lost that uh, passion when I found out what the value of money could be helping others. Oh, yeah. That, you know, I started to just let myself go. And little by little, that changed to having more excitement and passion when I knew what I was doing was making difference. One thing my dad remember always telling us was just reminding us how beautiful this world is, the gift that has been given to us to be a part of it. You know, out of billions and billions of possibilities, it, it happened for the earth to be the way it is and to have life in it. And out of billions, it happened for us to be chosen, to be in this world, to enjoy, to look, to 
cry, to laugh, to smell a flower, you know, yeah. for all yeah. of these beauties. And that free oxygen, the air that we are just, you know, taking in without even knowing how that was made one day. All of this kindness, you know, millions of cells are constantly working within our body to make sure we are healthy. We can talk, we can walk, you know, we can breathe, we digest, you know, all of that is just free and unconditional is given to us. But the question is, what are we doing instead? What are we giving back? Yeah. I always said, you know, even when you're living in this world, when you're leaving and this is it, if you can just remember that because of you, something was better in this world. Even if there was, you know, a smile from a child. You know, even if you just made a pain go away from someone, that would be enough. So you can just leave this world and say, okay, I did my part. After me, the world is a little bit better. One smile more than before me. And when you look at that way, then this, you know, collection and everything, as much as it goes through a better life for some other people, then it's more pleasure than keeping it for yourself. Amen to wow. that. Yeah, I mean, I'd... Uh... I'd, I'd love to end on that because that was uh, definitely remarkable. But I, I, I got to ask the last and final question. Do you feel that you were born with the collector's gene? Oh, for sure. Looking at my dad, I mean, he was always buying something. Collecting something. <laughs> <laughs> I remember two things. My dad looking for to buy something and collecting something. And my mom complaining. About this space, <laughs> I grew up with this too. I love that, Alex. I think that's the uh, uh, the the perfect ending to a, uh, a a true collector. So, thank you so much for 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 joining us on on Collectors Gene Radio. It's been an absolute pleasure to finally connect with you and learn a, a lot about more about uh, what what you have going on. And we'll be sure to link up in the show notes all of the uh, wonderful things that you're doing over at uh, bestofmarley.com. Sure, sure, Cameron. Thanks so much, Alex. Take care, Ryan. Take care. Uh, you guys were awesome. Hopefully, we connect again. Absolutely. You got it. Take care. You too. Take care. All right. That does it for this episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Collector's Gene Radio, signing off. <laughs>